And I was just like, wow, this has been the most incredible trip and experience of my life. I want to do this for the rest of my life. I want the freedom to work and travel when I want, where I want. And it just dawned on me, I got to start a digital business. This is Chris Reynolds and welcome to the Entrepreneur House podcast. The Entrepreneur House is a business accelerator for six and seven figure entrepreneurs creating events and retreats all over the world. Picture yourself spending four weeks with other high level entrepreneurs in the northern mountains of Thailand this coming October and November 2017. It will be full of masterminds, workshops, advisors, like-minded entrepreneurs, and of course, some fun adventure. If you're ready to take your business to the next level with other successful entrepreneurs, be sure to Apply at theentrepreneurhouse.com. And now, on to today's episode. On this episode, we are joined by a good friend, Kian Graham. Kian is the founder and CEO of Monetize More. Monetize More helps businesses optimize their ad revenue to their full potential. Kian shares with us how he built this business to have 300 clients and 71 remote employees. We will learn how Kian manages his employees, important leadership lessons and decisions he uses. And towards the end of the podcast, Kian will share some tips on how to increase your ad revenue. Kian was calling from Cape Town, South Africa, so he also shares why he enjoys Cape Town so much. Without further ado, let's welcome Kian Graham to the show. Welcome, Kian, to the podcast. How are you today? I'm great. Excited for the podcast. We're excited to have you. And you're calling in from South Africa? Yep, Cape Town, South Africa. Been here for two lovely months and excited for another two months over here. Now, I keep hearing amazing things about South Africa. Can you tell us what you like about Cape Town? There is an endless things to do here, whether it's hiking up Table Mountain, Lion's Head, going for winery tours in Stellenbosch, there's, uh, I was just at my first live rugby game last week. Um, people are very sporty here. It's very social. There's, you're, I've only been here for two months, and I've been able to meet a lot of people early on, and I'm, I find I'm choosing between a lot of different things each day and night. It's been a real pleasure. I would say the most comparable city, Cape Town, is to any city around the world. It would be Rio. Because of the topography, there's a lot of, it's mountainous, it's right by the ocean. People, it tends to be more of a lifestyle city. People are more active, has great weather. Um, there's a lot, there's a great beach scene. I would say Rio would be the closest city to compare to. Is it safer than Rio, though? Uh, I would say of all the great things that Cape Town has, crime would probably be its biggest downfall, which... Okay. What I've heard from the locals, it is improving. However, you don't want to be walking around at night. Uber is very good here and quite cheap. So um, there's really no reason why you shouldn't be taking an Uber versus walking home at night. Okay, good to know. Well, welcome, man. We're glad to have you on the show. We're going to talk about Monetize More, which is Kian's baby and his business that he's been building since about 2010. And let's jump into your story, Ken. Tell us how you became the entrepreneur that you are today. Well, it all started, so uh, just for the listeners, uh, I, I graduated in business at the University of Victoria in Canada. So I'm completely business side. When I describe my business to people, they, a lot of people automatically assume that I'm a developer because it is 
technical. However, I did start on the business side. And my first job out of university was for an online classified. It was the third largest online classified in Canada. And it was really kind of my launching pad for realizing the power of the digital industry. And I truly fell in love with it. So I worked there for about a year and a bit. And the recession hit. And it was owned by a newspaper company, which are the first type of first companies that really feel the squeeze of the recession. So they decided to lay off the marketing department. And this came as a huge surprise to me, but I'm the type of person that likes to turn a bad thing into a great thing. So five days later, I'm on a plane to South America <laughs> and meet up, planning to meet up with some friends who happen to be in Peru. And that was the beginning of a five-month backpacking trip. Wow. No job. Why not go to Peru for five months? Absolutely. And I, it, it was a pretty easy decision mm-hmm. for me. It just felt right. And that was the place where I got the vision to start the business. I traveled around for five months. Four months in, I was... Uh, about to do the Machu Picchu trek. And I, for four days, I trekked through the jungle and the mountains up to Machu Picchu. And on the fourth day, I was on top of Wainu Picchu, which is that, which is that mountain in the background of Machu Picchu, yeah. looking at the view, reflecting on the trip. And I was just like, wow, this has been the most incredible trip and experience of my life. I want to do this for the rest of my life. I want the freedom to work and travel when I want, where I want. And it just dawned on me, I gotta start a digital business. I really love the digital industry. I see the opportunity in it. This is it. All I need is an internet connection and a laptop. I can totally do this. And that was the initial fire that continued on when I got back to Canada, made a bunch of websites, did some affiliate marketing with the goal to learn as much as possible and come up with that idea. And that idea dawned on me within that six month period and I decided to use my old employer as a case study. Hmm. How can I increase their revenues? And I could do that via a lot of different facets like SEO, social media, customer usage model, analytics consultation, But then I realized the majority of the revenues are coming from Google AdSense, one source, and they're not doing anything to improve it, to optimize it. And I looked at their ads, not even that targeted. Hmm. So I came up with a model to use an ad server to compete other AdSense alternatives against each other in an auction-like style. And I proposed it to them. They said, that sounds great, but... We've been laying people off and we can't really afford to pay you a retainer. So I said, that's fine. How about you only pay me if I increase your ad revenues? I will only charge a percentage of the increase. And they're like, great, that sounds good to me. Let's try it out, no risk for us. And from that point, it was pretty much trial and error. See what works. Did a bunch of little optimization on AdSense, started adding competition against AdSense, built that auction, and whenever I got traction, I would build on that. So the revenues went from first month 10% to 25% to 40% to 60%, and they really started to get excited because all of a sudden, their main revenue source started to grow dramatically. 
And over a two and a half year period, I was able to make them additional millions and change the trajectory of their business and perfect a model that we now use for websites around the world. I bet they loved you after that, didn't they? They were very excited and it was a very exciting time as well. So um, that was a really unique experience to kind of change the face of a business, especially one that was going down at the time and then dramatically going up and, you know, they hired a lot of people as a result and, you know, they're still doing quite well and also kind of be at the center of innovation that we eventually applied similar models and got similar success stories with many other websites around the world. How'd you start acquiring additional clients, Ken? So that first client was, that was, we only had, and I say we, but it was only me at the time. Mm -hmm. I kind of trained myself to say we uh, just out of communicating myself as a business versus an individual. That's a Richard Branson suggestion. Okay. Well, I'm, I'm glad I'm in uh, a similar uh, <laughs> the category. Kind of yeah, yeah. I only had uh, that used everywhere as a client for about the first year and a half. And it was tough to get other clients until we had that first success story and testimonial. But even then with that one testimonial, a lot of these other businesses were like, well, it could have been a fluke and maybe you can only do it with Canadian traffic and that has a different type of website. So they were still pretty skeptical. And eventually we got our second client, pennysaverusa.com. And they were willing to try us out. And we applied the same model and the same methodology and we were able to get very similar increases and it was also a huge success story and then that was with US traffic and we proved ourselves in a second scenario it wasn't a fluke and then things really started to happen and that's where we were able to sign new publishers uh, in a much easier basis and they started to come in more frequently, frequently as well. How did Penny Saver find you guys? Did you reach out to them or they reach out to you? I found them in a conference in Nice, France. So there's this uh, (laughs) online classified media association Mm -hmm. and they have two conferences a year and it's pretty much online classifieds from around the world go to these conferences and talk the talk related to online classifieds. So I worked in an online classified as an employee. I was able to create a success story with a large online classified in Canada. And then, of course, it made sense to go for other online classified because that's where I've had success. So that's where I found Penny Saver USA. It was a bit of a long sales cycle, but I was eventually able to sign them. And that's where we were able to create our second success story. And how many clients do you have today, Kian? We have over 300 clients now. So these are publisher networks. So some might be one website, some might have hundreds of websites. And how big's your team? We hired our 71st person last week. Wow, I didn't know your team was that big. Yep, we've been growing a lot. We've uh, 
and we need uh, we definitely needed a lot of people to kind of handle that growth to continue to grow. And are are your employees are they all remote? Yep, one hundred percent remote from day one. And the leadership in your business is you and who are the other key players in your business? So we have four executives. Okay. So I'm the CEO. We have Julio Manzone, who's the COO, which I, I believe you met Julio at the last DCBKK. And then we have our CPO, David, who's in Washington, D.C. And then our CTO, Jose, is in Victoria, B.C., Canada, where uh, I'm pretty much somewhat based out of. That's where I went to university and lived for over 10 years. And I'd like to get into the mentality, Kian about how you guys as the leaders of the company handle all of your employees on a day-to-day basis. And so could you dive into a little bit the structure of who's handling what exactly and if each leader or chief in your organization has a certain amount of employees or a certain team that they communicate to or how's that all broken down? Yeah. So I'd like to start off with saying that my goal for 2016 was to engineer myself out of the day to day. So this year I am focusing on the marketing department mm-hmm. and the publishing department, which is how we reinvest our profits. We purchase websites that we can increase their ad revenues and, of course, increase the value of those businesses. So I focus on those two departments and the team members within those departments. And then our CTO, Chief Technical Officer, and our CPO, Chief Product Officer, they handle our developer team. So they focus on that and they have a lot of autonomy, especially because Julio and I are not developers and you know they are experts in their field so we give a lot of autonomy to run those teams how they see fits best mm-hmm. and then Julio our COO he does a lot of the people management so he overlooks our HR department our operations support sales and our ad operations team which is our largest team because that's kind of the core of the business, that is shared between our CPO and our COO. Because our COO, he kind of manages the the operations, the communication between departments, making sure each department is enabled to achieve their goals. And then our CPO, he manages our products. And we have three products, uh, one for a small business, and we have a something called a header bidding technology, and then we have our premium publisher business, which essentially monetize more started with with that initial success story. That's a premium publisher where we handle 100% of their ad revenue, and we still do that today. And it's one of our products, and our CPO works with our ad operations team to make sure they are optimizing and using the tactics that will achieve the highest performance possible. So do you guys have a set schedule where you and the other chiefs are meeting on a day-to-day basis or a weekly basis, and then they're meeting with their teams, or is it more informal? It's 
fairly informal. I have a weekly meeting with each one of the executives. Okay. And our COO has impromptu meetings with uh, the CTO and the CPO. Okay. And then within their departments, for example, the tech team, uh, we use Agile Scrum Framework. So there's a stand-up every single weekday okay. talking about what they achieved so far and then what they plan on doing today. And that's where they actually do the code reviews. And then in terms of the non-tech departments that our COO manages, uh, there are depending on the department, weekly or monthly meetings. And then within the heads of those departments, they have one-on-ones either weekly or monthly. And that's kind of focuses on the, the day-to-day tasks and then, of course, the trajectory of each one of the team members to make sure that they are progressing as a team member, as a person, because that's a really core part of our culture. I like that. And can we dig into the core part of your culture some more, Kian? Um, you said progressing as a team member, but also as a person. Uh, what are some ways that you implement that? For that progression, so we, we definitely encourage it. We have some programs. So uh, we encourage our team members to, if they see like a conference a seminar, a webinar, or a book they want to read, we encourage them to tell us and we will fund that, either um, you know, a large portion or 100% of it because we want to you know, have them continue to learn and we also have kind of mentorship within the company so that when someone moves up, they can uh, get those uh, skills that they need to excel within their new position. Um, we actually just promoted one of our ad optimization directors to head training for the whole company. Mm-hmm. So she, she is a very valuable part of the company. And we recognize training and that kind of progression as a team member to be so important that we took one of our most important team members to completely focus on training mm-hmm. and to make sure that that step from uh, position A position A to position B, that, that promotion, mm-hmm. that happens as smoothly as possible, that we set up e-learning so that they have the resources that they need, that one-on-one training, and that you know, the, that ad optimization knowledge, that context of the core of the business is available across the whole company and especially for our developers so that they know the context of the technology and the features that they are building. Incredible, man. And Kian, I want to ask you a couple things. The next question, what have you learned about leadership building this organization the way you have? I've learned that it's really important to lead by example. Mm -hmm. I can tell people what to do, but that doesn't really carry much weight unless I'm actually doing it myself. So one of the things that we consider very important in our culture is responsiveness. Mm -hmm. And we preach it a lot, but 
if I'm not going to be responsive in my email, Skype, Slack, then how much weight should it really carry? I should be the first one to be responsive and really kind of push that. And those pillars within our culture has to be reiterated and exemplified by our executive team and especially by myself. So I consider that really important. And over the years, I've learned that it's even more important than I thought from the very beginning. So here's another question. If you're removing yourself from the day-to-day activities, which was your goal for 2016, how does that apply to being responsive in your emails and your slacks? How are you handling that? So I'll still be responsive mm-hmm. and I do kind of jump into some conversations a little bit out of habit. I am still training myself to to keep out of certain conversations because, you know, that can go down a deeper rabbit hole. But it's also been communication with the rest of our team that um, instead of going to me, this is the person that you should be going to or... I will ask them to how would they solve that situation and be more of a Yoda instead of a Superman type of leader. I like and that. that that has taken a lot of personal training on my side and I have become better at that. And our team has responded quite positively with the additional autonomy and the additional leadership that uh, some of our team members have been given. You know, cause I struggle with that same thing and I'm, back and forth of, okay, should I batch my emails or should I be as responsive as possible as soon as I can? And so it's a constant balance beam, I guess you can say, to figure out what works the best. But I'm sure if you set it up in a way where, okay, I'm answering my emails at 11 a.m. and then 4 p.m. and then people expect your answers to come during that time. Yeah, it's about setting those expectations. and. I, I continue to be responsive, and uh, it hasn't really uh, negatively affected my productivity or, say, my personal lifestyle, okay. and I'm happy to continue to be responsive. And, you know, I've made a very deliberate choice that within the culture, we should be responsive internally or externally. We should never be blocking any projects or tasks because of lack of responsiveness. So it is, I consider it very important that I remain responsive. Yeah. Kian, how did the goal go for 2016? So how many hours a week are you working on your business? I still remain full time around 40 hours per week, you know, plus or minus depending on the week. And, but a lot of my tasks have shifted towards more project-based related to marketing, publishing, looking at websites that we want to purchase, or uh, we're working on a new product called PubGuru that we're releasing, hopefully this week, that will be just the beginning of an even bigger project because that's only version one. And this this new product, PubGuru, will be a SaaS solution for publishers to do DIY ad optimization. They would not have to rely on us to manage 100% of their ad inventory. They can actually do it themselves via this technology. 
Wow, that sounds exciting. Do you, for 2017, have that goal to remove yourself even more, to give you more free time? I see no reason to really have to remove myself. I'm really enjoying it, and I think I could still deliver a lot of unique value. Mm -hmm. So I, I don't really feel the urge to completely remove myself. Yeah, I've been really enjoying um, all the the new kind of shift towards marketing and the publishing team. And there's just so much opportunity out there that I don't think even my, my personal life would improve by working less because it, it has been really exciting. I think a lot of, especially digital entrepreneurs have the idea that they need to limit their work schedule as much as possible, as long as the business is running. But then there's some people that are kind of torn because they love what they're doing so much or just really enjoy focusing on the business and the future of the business where a part of them would be removed if they weren't working on the business to keep your balance in your own life and your level of enjoyment. Yeah, and I really don't think I'm missing out. I mean, I'm going to the gym five to six times a week. I'm playing sports four to five times a week. Uh, I'm being social, going to events, meeting new people, traveling. I mean, I was in Zambia and Zimbabwe last week. I'm really not missing out. I live a very rich lifestyle while being able to work hours that are still comfortable for me, which are happen to be around full-time hours. Incredible, man. Kian, can you give the listeners two or three must-dos on how to increase their ad revenue? Absolutely. So if you're a publisher that monetizing your site via display ads and a lot of the majority of websites out there, they just run Google AdSense because that's the simplest thing to do. Implement the ad tag and let it run. So the most important first step that a publisher must take is implement an ad server. And the ad server that we recommend is DoubleClick for Publishers, which is a Google ad server. And it's a free solution, and it allows you to compete other ad networks against AdSense in an auctions-type fashion, just like we did way back in the day with our first client. So implementing that, that ad server is the most important step to begin ad optimization and to increase your RPMs and increase your ad revenue. Then the second step I would recommend is implementing the premium version of AdSense. It's called Google Ad Exchange, and that is designed for large publishers and big brand advertisers. It has everything AdSense has, plus additional big brand advertisers, plus better targeting capabilities, and it's has a more uh, better terms as well in terms of revenue share. So all those add up to earning higher ad revenues by running ad exchange instead of AdSense. So, and there's uh, a way that you can integrate ad exchange with DFP. I'm, I'm going to try to stay away from the jargon as much as possible here, mm -hmm. but um, <laughs> this might you know be more relevant for the publishers that kind of, have worked with AdSense. Um, and then step number three 
is implementing something called header bidding. So that's a big thing in our industry that's been pretty hot for the past uh, year and a half and there's been a lot of innovation with it. That's something that we offer and it's been the source of really dramatic increases in ad revenues for especially large publishers. So uh, to sum up, I would say implement an ad server, specifically DFP, integrate Google Ad Exchange, and then step number three, implement header bidding. Those are the three big steps to go from very simple ad stack where you are leaving a lot of money on the table to sophisticated ad stack and you're realizing your ad revenue potential, which could be the difference of two to three times higher ad revenues with the same amount of traffic. That's amazing, man. Thank you for those tips. Kian, if the listeners want to reach out to you and contact you and learn more about Monetize More, where could they do that at? You can email me at kian at monetizemore.com or uh, you can contact us via Twitter at monetizemore. Uh, there's, our website is monetizemore.com and we also have a Monetize More Facebook group. So I'll send you uh, all those uh, social media contacts and my email. Okay. And uh, yeah, the user should be able to check all those out on the podcast page. All right. We'll put the links in the show notes for you guys. Kian, I want to give you a big thank you for coming on to the show, and thanks for sharing all those value bombs with us. We really appreciate it. Absolutely. It's been a pleasure. And listeners, we're going to wrap up for today. We'll see you all on the next episode. Bye, everybody. Thanks, Chris. The Entrepreneur House is a business accelerator for six- and seven-figure entrepreneurs. Imagine spending an extended period of time with other successful entrepreneurs working together and growing your business. Day-to-day, you interact with other driven and smart business people. Spending an extended period of time around them alters your business and your mentality around business. Goals are set, business grows, new partnerships develop, greater profit margins are achieved, the productivity skyrockets for attendees, and you get to have an incredible adventure while doing it. This year, our main event will be held in Chiang Mai, Thailand. It is four weeks from October 26th to November 24th and held for six and seven figure entrepreneurs only. It will be full of workshops, masterminds, advisors, co-working, and fun weekend social events. Be sure to check out the details at theentrepreneurhouse.com as soon as possible. This event will fill up fast. For those of you that are interested and have some questions, be sure to contact us through theentrepreneurhouse.com forward slash contact. We will respond as soon as possible. For now, saludos from somewhere in the world.